Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the Give Online button on our homepage. Okay, here's today's podcast. So uh, the whole, this month, Ryan has been talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. And if you read through the Old Testament, obviously you're not going to see the name Jesus there, but you'll see uh, aspects of a physical embodied God or somebody who uh, comes that is maybe this called the angel of the Lord. It's someone who's physical that, that meets with people or comes to people whenever they're uh, in time of need and stuff like that. And that is the physical embodiment of Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, obviously, Jesus is God, so, you know, different names. This is uh, for the same person. So uh, just come quick announcements before we start. I missed this. Um, we won't be passing offering plates uh, for a while due to all the, the guidelines and stuff, but um, you can put offering, cash offerings or check offerings and stuff in the church, or I think there's a folder or something in the back. Um, and if you're new or anything like that, I don't necessarily see anybody that's new, but there are welcome packets available. So lab, two weeks ago, Ryan talked about uh, Jesus being the seed of the woman. He talked about Genesis 3. Um, and I will put enmity between you and the serpent and the woman, or you the serpent and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And it sh- he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And he talked about how sin uh, creates this shame, which leads to an awareness of this separation from God, which in turn creates more work, but at the same time creates this need for a savior, need for the seed of the woman who will eventually crush the serpent. Um, And then last week talked about Jesus being the Ark of the Covenant, um, being the the Ark, Noah's Ark, Genesis 6. Uh, Noah is called to build a large boat from gopher wood and waterproof it with pitch. The Hebrew word uh, for pitch is kopher, which means a covering, or it also means covering or atonement, um, which obviously is what Jesus did for us uh, when he died on the cross for us, he covered our covered our sins with with his blood. So uh, that's Genesis from Genesis six, and we talked about how you're either in or you're out. You can't be both, right? It's a uh, a statement that doesn't work. It's like putting a round peg in a square hole, or square peg in a round hole, or however you you know put the peg in. Um, so you're, you're either in or you're out. And we also talked about how Noah did the work of building the ark with obedience and with faith. It wasn't just enough that he built the ark. He did it with a servant heart and um, being obedient and faithful to God. Today, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus being the firstborn. So before we get into that, uh, Ryan uh, asked me kind of last minute if I would do this sermon, and I said, yeah, that's fine. And luckily, he kind of wrote it for me. And he put in there, uh, says there are perks to being the firstborn. And I struggled so hard with finding the perks to being a firstborn because I don't remember that many perks. Like uh, for me, it was, it seemed like I was always, you know, how it is. The firstborn always gets the more strict parenting style. And then the uh, second and third, fourth, and sixth, when you're just, who knows? I don't even know where they're at. I don't know who they're with. I don't know, you know, whatever. I remember for me, it was uh, when Kelsey got her driver's license. We were uh, dating at the time, and 
uh, I couldn't ride with her until I had my license. And so, and then, you know, Dalton and Delaney come along, and I'm pretty sure Laney was like 12, and who God only knows where she was riding around with whoever she was with, so... Um, but you do get the newer things, and anybody always get the newer, newer things, and then you hand it down, down the line to your brothers and sisters and stuff. So that was always nice to get the first thing. You get to be the first one to experience some things. I was the first one to go to college in uh, my family, and uh, so put uh, that down for, for me. And then in the words of the great Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. So, I mean, it is what it is. So, but the thing about being first in the... Old Testament was there was a lot of um, emphasis on the first fruits of the harvest and the firstborn, especially the, the male firstborn. And they was, were to either be sacrificed or consecrated to uh, the Lord or the temple. Um, the reason being there was never a guarantee of having a second son, a second bull calf, a, a second uh, ram or uh, anything like that. And it was considered the best, the first of the, of the harvest was considered to be the best of the harvest. Um, and for the animals and stuff, likely that was to be sacrificed. Um, but for the male, the, the children of the people, sometimes that would mean entering into service in the temple to be a servant to the priest or to become a priest themselves. Um, the giving of the first use is by faith. Again, there's no guarantee that you're going to have the rest of the crop, it may not be a bumper crop year, but you're uh, required to give that first part to, to God for, for blessing you. Um, and you got to remember that in the Old Testament time, they didn't know all the things about anatomy and physiology that we know today. And the day, it was the man whose seed entered the woman who was considered the vessel, and that's who raised the child. So the, the lineage was through the man. And while the females were important, especially the you know, firstborn and stuff, they weren't considered to be the line makers. It was the male line makers. So that's why there's a lot of emphasis placed on the firstborn males and stuff like that. Uh, for example, Numbers 18 through uh, 15 says, The first offspring of every womb, both human and animal, that is offered to the Lord is yours, but you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. And to do that, they would pay a, a fee to the temple. In Jesus' day, the first worm was also supreme in authority next to the father alone. So like in our thing today, if the father passes away, the wife gets the rest of it, or if it's, you know, divvied out in the will, that that's what they get. But back in the, the Old Testament time, it was the firstborn son would get the lion's share, would get a, a double portion of the inheritance, and he was also in charge of leading the family from then on out. Um, in Colossians 1.15, Christ, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, being the firstborn of God. And that's why in the product, story of the prodigal son, it's not as, it's not as bad that the, the prodigal son is the secondborn son, right? So the secondborn leaves, he, he gets his inheritance, right? And then he goes and squanders it. Just imagine if the first son would have received his double portion of that and then went and squandered it. It would have been that much more painful for the father. But it's also why later in the story, it's harder for the father when the firstborn son refuses to come and participate in welcoming that second son back. 
It's also the scandal of Esau selling his birthright to Jacob, if you remember the story of Esau coming back from hunting, and he's hungry and starving, and he asks his brother for some food, and he says, well, just sell me your birthright, and I'll make you something right up. He's like, dude, come on, just give it, I'm hungry, you know? He's like, no, sell me your birthright. He's like, whatever, fine, sells it to him. Um, that was the double portion birthright that he, was, that he sold him. To be the firstborn wasn't, was also not just the priority in time and, and stature, it was privilege and authority, which is why God commands uh, the plague of the firstborn in Exodus, even in uh, Egyptian terms, that firstborn was the lineage, right? So um, what's also kind of not as well known is the Egyptian god Ra, who was their biggest, strongest god or whatever, Pharaoh was considered the physical embodiment of Ra. And when you, and in terms, that mean, mean that his firstborn heir would be the next Ra, would be the next physical embodiment of, of Ra. And so whenever the plague comes and, and he is taken, and not just him, but the, all the firstborn males of the, the land, that's just a direct assault on the Egyptian uh, religion and especially the god of Ra. It's God proving himself stronger than uh, the Egyptian gods. But, as most firstborns know, that comes with responsibility, right? How many, who's ever been told you're responsible for your brothers and sisters? If they get into a fight, you're there to back them up. If they get in trouble, you got to go bail them out. If you got to keep your eye on them, um, and that's, that's been common throughout the ages. There's been, always been the firstborn who was in charge of everybody after him. Uh, Revelation 1.5 says that he, Jesus, is the faithful witness to all these things. The first, the first to rise from the dead, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Jesus, being the firstborn of God, the firstborn of the dead had to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us, for the rest of God's children. That was his responsibility as the firstborn, firstborn of righteousness without sin. Unlike Adam, who came before us and was set out to be the firstborn of humanity and to, to provide this example and ultimately failed, whereas Jesus did not fail. And if you can't be with your Father in heaven who is holy because of the sin that we inherit, then you have to go through the Son who takes that to the Father to receive you into his presence. Jesus took the word of salvation to the Father on our behalf. And this is partially why Abraham struggles with the command to sacrifice Isaac. So we're going to read from Genesis uh, 22, 1 through 18. It's going to be the body of where we're at today. And um, we're going to go ahead and, and I'm going to read this first couple lines. And we'll see if you notice something that is uh, maybe a little off or maybe a little contradictory. So... Genesis 22, 1 through 18, it says, Sometimes late, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, and I will show you. Or on a mountain, I will show you. Didn't anybody catch anything odd about that statement? If you know the story of Abraham... Isaac is not his only son. He has a relationship with his uh, concubine, um, Hagar, who bears him a son, Ishmael. So I had to ask, I caught this, and I, I had to call Ryan, and I'm like, what's 
What's the deal with that? It seems kind of contradictory. But if you remember the story, Abraham is promised a son, is promised a line that will extend through the ages and become more numerous than the sands on the, air, on the sea. But when he takes that promise into his own hands, has a son with the concubine, that's not the son that was promised. The son that was promised comes later and is the one who will eventually take the family to Egypt and eventually will be this, this great nation that comes out of there. That's a little side note. So uh, if you read that and you get caught up on that, that's kind of the explanation of why that is. So we'll go back. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So early in the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship there and then we'll come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he, carried, he himself carried the fire and the knife. Fire meaning uh, wood for the fire. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, he says, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And I can't help but wonder, like, how old is Isaac when this is all going on? And, like, you, you know, he's used to seeing this kind of thing happen. You go off, you make a sacrifice, you come back. But, you know, kind of looking around like, oh, what, uh, Dad, I think you forgot something back there. You know, we're supposed to bring something with us. And, uh, you know, oh, no, God will provide. And just, okay, and just keep on trudging, you know, not really thinking about what may be happening there. So I don't know that, I think a lot of people think that he kind of had this idea of what was going on. And I, I'm not really uh, sure that we can get that from the text. But he might just be like, okay, Dad, we'll just go on up there. So when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Now, this is the part that is uh, interesting, and you can only imagine the scene. But he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. And as we know later in the story, the nation of Israel is led out of Egypt and it takes possession of the, the land that is promised to them, making good on this promise here in, uh, in Genesis, 6, or Genesis 22. Now you have to remember, back in 
the times like this, a ch child sacrifice was not all that uncommon. Um, if you remember the, if you ever read the Old Testament, you see Molech or any of these other gods of the Canaanites. A lot of times, those were child sacrifice gods. Um, Molech is the one that they would heat it up and and make the child sacrifices and burn the the children on it. So this isn't an uncommon practice, and probably Abraham is even familiar with child sacrifice. Not really. Um, not that it wouldn't faze him, but that it's, this wouldn't be an uncommon thought for him. But God did not allow Abraham to sacrifice his son. Instead, God provided, and this is a, a neat thought, maybe a firstborn ram in the thicket. But again, we're not, we're not here to talk about just the Old Testament stuff. We're trying to figure out where Jesus is in the Old Testament. Did anybody, did anybody see where it was? Did anybody catch it? We know who is talking with Abraham on the mountain. If you read and if you uh, do any kind of word study with this stuff, the angel of the Lord is often who meets with people at certain places, who uh, shows up physically to people. And here, again, the word, the angel of the Lord, calls to Abraham from heaven and says, I, the one with Abraham and Isaac, swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, the, the Hebrew word for um, God or, or angel is a lot of, they, you'll use the word Elohim or El or Eloah, which is basically, it's a coverall for spiritual beings. So that could mean the God Yahweh, that could mean gods of the Canaanites or whatever nation, that could mean spirits, angels, demons, you name it. That was just kind of their... Uh, blanket term. They didn't really specify as, as we do today. Uh, and the word anglos, the, the, I believe it's the Greek word, is uh, what is we read, the angel of the Lord, and not the Lord himself. But, again, when we look at the past uses of that phrase, it's always used when the Lord, when God himself is talking or meeting with someone. And I, again, you say, imagine the scene, imagine um, Isaac there, and does he go willingly? Does he? Does Abraham sneak up on him and tie him up and put him on there? Is he resisting? Is he not want to do this? Is he trusting? Is he, you know, what's going on? But also imagine as Abraham raises the knife that the hand of the Lord reaches out and grabs it and says, Abraham, no, this is not what you, I want you to do. Jesus is in the story. Jesus is foreshadowing his future death and sacrifice. What we acknowledge every time we take communion, right there on that mountain. And eventually Jesus would pay that price. Colossians 1.18, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Through his death, he becomes the firstborn of the dead. Sometimes we make more out of Jesus' death with, by comparing it with Isaac, but obviously there's a difference in the story. Isaac is not sacrificed, whereas Jesus willingly takes the place of us on the cross and dies for us. God the Father offered the Son not simply to die, but to become the firstborn of the dead and offer a way to eternal life, something that Isaac, as a mere human, or any of the humans that came after him tried, or they could not do. It's only something Jesus could do. But isn't it ironic that our sin is often 
putting something or someone else before God or before others. I mean, really, if you think about it, think about the things that are, that are talked about as, as sin and, and listed out. And you will, if you really look at the root of it, you will find that it hurts others or hurts yourself and, is that, and separates you in some way from God. We want to be the firstborn or we're jealous of the firstborn. We want to be the first in line. We want to win first place regardless of who we have to be to get there. We want to be the first up for the promotion regardless of whose head we have to step on. But we don't jump to be the front of the line when it's time to lay it down or make the sacrifice. Lastly, the firstborn is an example for others. Uh, in the story of Joseph and his brothers, the brothers go to Egypt uh, in the famine, and Joseph wants to keep one of them behind, and he wants to keep the youngest one. But it is Judah, who's not the firstborn, he's the fourthborn, and not Reuben, who's the one that's willing to put him self on the line for Benjamin and go to prison. And some would argue that that's why the line of Jesus and the line of David comes out of the tribe of Judah. He's willing to make himself last in order to be punished and imprisoned without the um, authority and the privilege of being the firstborn. We often hear that great privilege comes with great responsibility. And that is so true in the case of Jesus, who gave up his divine privileges to come down to earth to be a baby and grow up in this world, be the firstborn of the dead, who would pave the way for us to receive eternal life. And then he says, take up your cross and follow me. What if instead of trying to be first in the race or the promotion, what if we were trying to be first in humility? What if we tried to be first in laying down our expectations of others? What if we were first in making sacrifices for people that we didn't think deserved it? What if we were first in helping and all of the things that we wish to see in this world? What if we were that example? What if we modeled the firstborn of the dead? What if we modeled Jesus, the firstborn of eternal life and the firstborn of righteousness? What would that look like? Well, firstly, we would be Faithful to God, like Noah was, faithful and obedient, and make the world a better place. But second, we would also be acknowledging our role in God's family as children of God. Even if you're not a firstborn, even if you're second, sixth, eighth, twelfth, if you are first, be last. Regardless of, of where you're at in the lineage of your family or whatever, we are all God's children and we follow him and are called to be like him. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.